Hello and welcome to Silence, a podcast that gives women a chance to get honest and open about what it's really like surviving and thriving in what often feels like a male-dominated world. All of my guests have been hand-picked from the fields of science, technology, engineering and mathematics or STEM, where inclusivity and diversity can be a real issue. I know this only too well, having been a mechanical engineer myself for a number of years. I'm Dr. Shanice O'Mara, now a television broadcaster. I've worked on and reported on some cutting-edge technology and innovation over the years, and through my TV work, I've met some incredibly inspiring women from a diverse range of STEM fields. These women are true trailblazers, and I've often felt so empowered myself by learning what they're really like as people, usually when the TV cameras have been turned off and they're just being themselves. Each week on Silence, one of these women shares her unique experiences and truth without the usual pressure and stress of having to promote her accomplishments or uphold her impressive reputation. How? Because all of my guests are deliberately kept anonymous and disguised to ensure that we as listeners are not distracted or maybe even intimidated by all the usual kinds of societal labels and trophies. The women of STEM on this show have amazingly impressive CVs, but most importantly, they're human, just like the rest of us. And I want to share the inspiration and wisdom that I've gathered from them with you. It's my hope that you really relate to what we chat about today. If so, please do subscribe to Silence and maybe even rate and review the show. I'd love to have your feedback. This week, my guest is in the field of quantitative biology. Hi. Hello. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm so excited to hear your story. Thank you for having me. So, quantitative biology, that sounds like a lot of numbers within the field of biology. Is that (laughs) true? Pretty much, yeah. So I've always been interested in trying to come up with these big problems in biology and especially in medicine where you have maybe a disease that needs to be diagnosed or treated. But people have been trying for a long time and it's still not preventable. But I'm kind of taking a new approach by combining math with it. Can we find a way to model the problem? Can we find a way to apply some statistics to have a better representation of what's going on? And so my research and interests are definitely at the intersection of the two fields, which I have loved for the past many years, and I probably will continue doing that for a while. I mean, if you don't mind me saying, you sound very young. (laughs) So, I mean, how old are you? I'm 17. Gosh, so how does a 17-year-old know at such a young age, you know, about applying mathematics and statistics to biology. How did you get into it? I think that my first interest was actually the math part of it, where in school, math was probably always my favorite subject. I enjoyed numbers and the problem solving part of math class where you're given a problem and everything just sounded like a puzzle to me and I wanted to figure it out. And I kind of had the mindset that I didn't want to stop until I had figured it out. Right. And so then as I kind of got older and started figuring out more of my professional interests, I became interested in real life problems Mm. where I wanted to do work that I knew could impact others. And while I loved math, I thought of that more maybe as a hobby where I liked kind of the high that I got from problem solving. But then I was thinking maybe this could be applied to improving the health lives 
and quality of life mm-hmm. of others. Yeah. And so I kind of thought maybe I could try to combine them. Mm-hmm. And I started my first research project, which at the time was definitely just a small science fair project where I tried to combine the two and I ended up finding some type of result that was positive and I just went with it from there. And basically everything I've done since then has been along similar lines. Would you say that you found your purpose in life then? I think, I would say that's pretty set in stone what I plan to do in that sense that I want to dedicate my life to improving the health of others, both in my community and across the globe. I think that maybe what's not such an easy question is how do I get there? Mm. But I think that maybe this field is a pretty clear path that could take me there. I'm sure there's also many other paths, but that's still to be, de- to be determined. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because when you said that you want to make an impact on people's lives, there are so many different ways within the STEM fields, um, just to begin Definitely. with, to make an impact, whether that's in engineering or, um, I mean, lots of different ways. Why did you choose health? I think that another thing that just personally I enjoy is instantaneous or very clear results where I do something and I see the effect that it has right away. Where, say, if I were to go into actually practicing medicine, there are doctors who I've looked up to my entire lives, and they spend every day of every week of every year saving lives, and they do something, and then the direct result is someone's life is better because of that. Mm-hmm. And that's I knew that I wanted to do something like that, as opposed to doing a project that then has to be integrated and repeated and then maybe decades later it could have an instantaneous effect I like more of the immediate effect Mm. I mean you described that you were good at maths and you know it was that puzzle aspect of it the problem solving does that mean you've always been good at math (laughs) um I think that maybe they go hand in hand. Liking math maybe makes you good at math. Maybe a lot of our education system just has this idea around math is hard. But if you don't go with that perspective, then I really never thought that. I was never raised. I was never taught math is hard. I was taught math is fun. And because of that, I enjoyed it. And maybe because of that, I put more time into it and ended up up being better Mm -hmm. at it. I think it all kind of worked out. Do you have lots of STEM uh, family members? Yes. So no no, no one in my family is interested in healthcare or directly biology or what I do, but definitely. So my parents are both scientists who also maybe don't understand all of the medicine part of it, but have always been supportive of whatever interest, whether it be STEM or non-STEM, I was interested Mm. in. But not all scientists like math. I think it just happened that maybe my family always supported it. Yeah. So what was it like growing up? Like, are you were you very much influenced by STEM in the household? I remember specific summers when 
there would just be days when I would discuss math problems with my parents that looking back now were introductions to very high level topics in mathematics that I had no clue of at the time. So for example, I remember talking with my dad and we had a sheet of graph paper and he drew a squiggle, like a curve. And he asked me how I would find the area under the curve basically. And I was in elementary school at the time and it was just one of these puzzles. And so of course, this is not a very difficult problem for an elementary school kid. You count the number of squares (laughs) that are below the line. Or there were some more clever answers. I talked about this with some of my friends. Some of them said maybe you could cut along the line and then weigh the graph paper and compare it to the original weight. And so it was just a puzzle that we thought had an answer when maybe the more professional answer, if you were to ask an adult, would have been to calculate the integral. We didn't know what an integral was at the time, but we knew it was a question that had an answer. And I think maybe this is more of the mindset that my family and upbringing promoted, just to think of a problem that may or may not have an answer, but just go in with the mindset that mm, it does yeah. and try to find it. That's so awesome. And like, what kind <laughs> of uh, toys and what kind of kid were you like? I was definitely a very nerdy kid. I, let's see, toys. Well, I remember some games that we used to play, actually. One of them would be, we were in the car, and if I asked a good question, I would, this is when I was very, very little. So some kids maybe got rewards or like money for doing chores or rewards for being well-behaved. I got, I was raised where my parents gave me like candy, if I asked a good question, if I was in the car and I said like, why is, why is the grass green? Or some, some question that maybe had an answer, but something that could be answered or that I was really mm-hmm. interested in. Um, they, they loved that. And they kept promoting me to ask more and more questions. And so maybe that mentality is the mindset that researchers have at all ages. Yeah of questions and wanting to know the answers. And so I think that was a natural instinct that I had that was maybe just cultivated from my parents who knew the importance of being curious. Yes. I mean, some people are afraid to ask questions. Have you ever experienced that amongst your friends? Definitely, yeah. For sure. And sometimes there's different reasons for this. Some people are afraid because they think it's a stupid question or they're, they think it's too ambitious. They think maybe there's no answer. So what's the point in asking it? But I think once you get over that, that, mind, that mindset of being afraid to ask questions, there's so many more opportunities and directions. Yeah. To go so with I'm it. assuming that you've never been afraid to ask questions then. On the large scale, definitely not. I think there maybe have been various instances, maybe when I was younger, that I was intimidated to ask questions, where I was in a room of people who I would be at a talk at a local university from an expert in a field, and I didn't quite understand everything they were talking about, but I just assumed that everyone else understood it. It turns out that most rooms that you're in, if you don't understand something, it's quite likely that someone else or maybe most people in the room don't understand it either. But maybe I was intimidated at the time. I think throughout 
the last few years when I've been in many rooms with many really, really smart people, I've learned that if you don't understand something, just ask. A lot of people are really happy to explain it. I'm so glad you learned that. Um, Have you ever (laughs) felt very aware of being a woman in STEM? Like, has it ever been uh, an issue for you, being female? I've definitely been very aware of it, but I think I've always tried to look on the positive side of it, where I've had some really strong female scientist role models in my life, from my mom to research mentors, and I've seen all the amazing things that they've done and how brilliant their minds are and the ways that they think. And I think just my mindset in general is I've tried to go into being a woman in STEM is a, maybe a positive thing where I want to add what no one else has added and nothing's going to keep me from doing that because that's just what mm. I've been shown my whole life. So have you ever experienced kind of a negative um, negative assumptions about you being a woman in STEM? I don't think anything entirely explicit. My personality maybe is more like I'm... I just try to think positively, which maybe makes me act positive. I try to <laughs> smile a lot and not a lot to stay engaged. And maybe that's not, not the normal image of a nerdy person who thinks about math and biology all the time. So maybe it takes a little bit of time for some people to understand a, like my level of interest and dedication to a field. But once they understand that, I, I honestly have had some really good experiences in labs that I worked in and collaborators that I've worked with, where they have been at some top universities that it's just been the culture for them to try to treat everyone pretty equally. And I love that. That's the Yeah, case. I mean, first of all, I, I must say I can actually hear your smiling um through the internet (laughs) and it's really infectious because since we've been talking I've just been smiling from ear to ear so I think a positive attitude is so um influential I agree honestly that's my mindset about everything not even just science or academics I think that I try to go into just a friendship or a new connection with anyone from any field thinking that I can learn something from this person. I can become a better person and I want to figure out how. So try to treat everyone like a role model, no matter what their background or gender or ethnicity is. Just try to go in with that. And that's really influenced everything about me, maybe my personality as well as my interests. Right. And it sounds like you really feel like you can learn from everyone. I definitely yes which is so interesting to me because you know we met um at an awards ceremony where you were receiving an award so there's kind of this assumption that you're at the top um of your field and so it's interesting that you feel that you can learn from others no matter who they are yeah I definitely don't view it as that I'm at the top of my field. I view it as I'm just entering my field. So I guess it's all a matter of perspective. I have met some really cool people, but in whatever field I'm in, I know that there are people who have either been in it longer or done amazing work in it. 
And so I think that everyone has something that they're better than everyone else at and they can teach people. So that's just how I go into these these situations, like the award ceremony that we were at. Everyone had different interests, but if you just view it as everyone else has interests that they know a lot more about that you don't, then you go into the situation thinking that you want to learn about it and you want to learn from these people who are potentially higher on this I don't know, academic food chain than you, even if maybe it is just everyone's at the same level. Right. So have you ever felt kind of um, a little bit, um, not exhausted, but uh, just a little bit disheartened by um, how much others have accomplished um, compared to where you want to get to? I think that there's, if you think about this in terms of history, people have done research in biology and in mathematics for hundreds of years and have discovered amazing findings. And there's this feeling of they've learned so much and it's up to me in just a short period of time to learn everything that they've done and now add upon that, Mm. which may be somewhat intimidating. There's this term amongst I guess a lot of these peer groups of really talented scientists called imposter syndrome yeah where you feel like other people are there because they deserve it when you don't mm. uh, but in my opinion the more situations that you're in like that the less this becomes the case the more you realize that you're there for a reason and so I think that there is this sense of intimidation but if you just view it in the right light there is a sense that you can overcome it. And that's maybe if you you view this as, I don't, some people might be intimidated by the fact that there have been so many great people before them. But if you view it in the sense of, let me now add to what they know, let me make this field even stronger. Let me increase the data bank of human knowledge and the ability to improve people's lives even more. And if you're given the opportunity and confidence that you can do this, I think that the sense of um, intimidation fades away pretty quickly. Wow, <laughs> that's so inspiring. <laughs> it's such a great attitude to have because I think when you embark on a career in academia or anything that you're passionate about, sometimes it can be a little bit disheartening how high people have climbed within their field and you know, STEM subjects are not the easiest. And there are times when we are challenged, but it sounds like the attitude you have carries you through that. I like to think that it does. I mean, have there been moments where you have been quite overwhelmed with what you're studying? Definitely all the time. I mean, even I work in a lab right now, um, a biology lab, and we were there yesterday and we were just talking all of the lab members together about this major problem that we're trying to do research to treat a major disease. And we're just staring at our results and we're like, we have no clue what we're looking at. We don't know how to interpret this. We don't know where to go from here. And right now or yesterday, maybe it seemed like this is the end, but I know that in a few days, someone in the lab is going to come up with some great idea of another experiment to run. And I don't even have a fear that we 
are not going to come up with another direction to keep going in because I've experienced this so many times where in the past on research projects that I've done by myself or with a group of people or a lab, you always get stuck and you always have the sense of maybe all we're doing is useless or maybe this actually isn't going to work or you're just stuck. But I think that just being surrounded by people who have ideas of where to go, even if it's the wrong idea. Yesterday, my the head of the lab that I'm working in, he was like, we need a hypothesis. It can be a wrong hypothesis. It can be totally crazy. We just need something to test. And so we get stuck, but I've never been in a situation where we didn't get past it. And what sounds so amazing from the way you're describing it is that there's a real sense of collaboration. Yes, that's so important for me. Yes. I mean, that seems extremely, that seems to be the key, because I think often people think that STEM subjects are very isolating. You know, you're sitting in a lab or, you know, in a workshop, inventing or creating something that nobody else has ever found and that you need to do that on your own, like a recluse. That doesn't really sound like your science experience, though. (laughs) I don't think any scientific endeavor can be accomplished alone. I think that everything is a team effort. Maybe the key is the fact that you incorporate so many different perspectives. And that's definitely what I've noticed. I've noticed that, like you were talking about, there's maybe this idea of a scientist who sits around pipetting small amounts of liquid from one test tube to another all day. But that's not what scientists do. When I think of a scientist, I think of someone who has this vision, who can, I heard this from another scientist, who can go into the future and identify problems like a superhero they can travel in time they can identify what the world is going to need years from now and then bring that back to the present and solve these problems before they're even a problem or before they get even worse and I think that that is maybe what makes a scientist and then if you combine a bunch of people who think like that then they're all looking at this problem from different ways but they all understand the problem and they all contribute various inputs And from my experience and from my observations, that's how science works. That sounds awesome. I want to go into STEM. (laughs) Oh, I already am in STEM. (laughs) It's so weird because your experience is kind of very different from mine. I mean, what are your team members like then? Like, what's the dynamic between all of you? I think I'm part of a lot of different teams. Um teams of scientists who are my age and teams of professional scientists or my team of classmates in my science classes. Um, Maybe my team, I can start more professionally in the lab that I work at. We all come from different backgrounds, both cultural backgrounds, educational backgrounds, and then like science field backgrounds. There's some people who in the lab who grew up with a background in pure mathematics while other people did chemistry or physics or just wanted to be went into medicine first before they went into research or who um, never took classes in the field that the lab focuses on 
And there's just so many backgrounds that it comes together. And whatever anyone else says about a problem, it's usually a point that I never would have thought of. We usually don't think the same way at all, which is really interesting. Um, one point that I just made was that some people, uh, it's a microbiology lab. So some people have never taken a microbiology mm -hmm. class who work in the lab, which just gives them such, including myself actually, but who gives them such a different perspective. Like if you don't know the standard in the field, you come up with your own standard, you design it yourself, which I really Gosh, like. It sounds like such a welcoming and inclusive environment. Yes, I do not think this is the case for every lab or for every group of scientists, but I definitely like to ground myself with supportive, yet still really smart yeah. people. Yeah. So what's the plan for the future then? Like, do you have it all mapped out already? <laughs> I like to think that I do. I think everything is subject to change, but just my general plan is kind of to continue what I've been doing in college. I want to major in some combination of biology and or mathematics or applied mathematics and also be pre-med so that after college there's these programs where you can get an MD and a PhD combined and so I hope to do that and then become what's called a quantitative medical scientist where you can combine everything that I love while treating patients. So basically the plan is long-term, I see myself spending half of the week seeing patients, treating patients in whatever specialty I go into, whether that be infectious diseases or oncology or pulmonology. But you see the patients, you see the challenges that the patients are facing. And then the other half of the week, you go to the lab and you come up with solutions to these challenges. You come up with a treatment or a prevention or a cure to these diseases. And then the next week starts over, you're seeing your patients again, but now you can implement your solutions to help the patients. So Wow, that just goal. sounds like such an amazing plan. And I literally have goosebumps listening to your passion because you are so <laughs> enthusiastic and in love really with what you're doing it's amazing <laughs> well thank you I think I've been maybe really lucky in many senses but one of them is that I found something that I truly love to do from such a young age and I know that many people don't but find what they love to do yeah. so early on so I've been really fortunate and would you say that you've had um a very encouraging and nurturing environment to develop your career aspirations or has this all been kind of self-driven by you? I've had amazing support my whole life and I'm so thankful for that. There have been projects that I've worked on where I thought to myself, maybe I can do this myself. Maybe I can just go lock myself in my basement and play with like chemicals to try to work on some d diagnostic for some disease and I can figure it out myself but you can learn so quickly how really not possible that is how I had to go back upstairs and find the email of professionals in the field and reach out to them and ask them for help and 
they always, always are so supportive, no matter what level they're at, whether this is just reaching out to my teachers or to top scientists across the globe, actually. I found that if you send an email, teachers and experts reply to these emails. A lot of them are here to help you succeed. Their passion, maybe their first passion is science, and their second passion is passing on science to the next generation, whether that be through their advances or through their teaching. And I think I just have kind of taken advantage of that mindset where people are here to help me. So let me let them help me. And I've really never hesitated to reach out to someone if what's the worst that can happen? They don't reply to my email. They don't return a phone call. They don't want to meet with me. But for the most part, everyone has been incredibly supportive and really just helpful, which is so nice. And I love that that culture in academia and in science of we're all here for the same goal, to help people, to help the field. And so let's work together. There's really no point in competing here. Right. But I mean, the persistence that it takes to kind of write emails to very senior probably quite intimidating people and waiting for responses. I mean, that takes a lot of courage. Well, thank you. Um, I think it's more of a go for it mindset where you have to start maybe by justifying yourself, by trying to convince them. You find a need to convince them that you kind of know what you're talking about. So I have this formula for these emails that I write where I'm like introducing myself and then very quickly, I think usually I have to start with where I'm from, of course, and then why I feel like I'm qualified to email them. And I think that in the future, that part of the email might go away. Like you won't need to qualify yourself, but at this point, will know you. Right. Or maybe just know you or know, or you can maybe just gain confidence that wherever you're from, they'll still want to help you no matter your background. But I don't think I'm quite there yet. But I usually start with some sort of introduction of what I know about what I'm emailing them about. Like if it's a specific disease, I'll say I've done research in this disease or here's what I know about the disease. And then very quickly, I just get to a question and I'm like, here it is, put it out there. And then any input would be nice. I also sometimes just ask if I want to talk to them. I say, can we just talk for 10 minutes? I think for anyone, no matter how, how senior they are, 10 minutes, they can do. They can have a conversation if it's over the phone or you can meet with them for 10 minutes. But usually that turns into so much more. It turns into uh, collaboration or friendship or something even greater. Mm. I- so I usually just follow the same template and different things come out of it, but it has not very often has it gone gone wrong. Yeah. And I think what also makes that approach successful is the fact that you've really known your stuff. You know, you, you know the subject inside out. You're, you have confidence in the questions you're asking and not knowing certain things because you're so wi- widely read within the subject I think maybe that's the vibe that we try to give off that we do know a lot about the subject that we're in I don't know if anyone ever thinks that they 
know everything about a subject, even if it's someone top in the world, there's yeah. probably someone who rivals them who is doing research that the person who is the top in their field probably never would have thought of. Mm. So, Well, that's the beauty I, of science, isn't it? Yeah. Because I think yeah. you get to a certain level in science that is so cutting edge that if you don't know something um, and the answers aren't readily available, then there's a very high probability that no one really knows the answer. Exactly. And so the person you're emailing probably doesn't know it either, but they can think of a hypothesis that you could test. And you can have a conversation about it. Exactly. Which is really fascinating. And putting two minds together about a question usually is better than one, just as a general like key, just combine people who are experts and they can probably come up with something that none of them could have thought of themselves. Mm. I must say your attitude is just an absolute powerhouse. Like I can really hear you just kind of knocking down any obstacles that um, may come up on your path. But have you actually ever experienced obstacles? Um, And if so, what have they been and how have you handled them? Yes, a ton of obstacles, I guess, on all different levels. One that I think about a lot is maybe just the inability to help in the sense of there's a disease, say, one that I've been working on somewhat more recently, say, cystic fibrosis. There's this disease that is affecting so many people. And in a sense, there's nothing I can do about it. I can do research, I can work in a lab, but I can't cure this disease, or at least with my mind, with my level of education or with my impact right now there's so many people suffering and there's nothing I can do about it which has been an obstacle apply this to so many situations where you just really feel like no matter how hard you work how many late nights you put in how many papers you read there is nothing you can do in the short term to Mm. help and so maybe just this mindset of is this all for nothing or is it going to pay off eventually has been an obstacle Mm -hmm. for me but I think it's quite easy to overcome where you just think in the longer term you think that these small amounts of liquid that you're pipetting from one test tube to another will end up saving lives someday because you know that other people both nearby and across the globe are also pipetting small amounts and they're going with the same goal to treat or cure the same disease and at some point it's all going to come full circle and I think that the reason I believe this is just from past evidence where there have been other diseases which people thought they were they were affecting a lot of people and destroying qualities of life but then scientists everywhere work together and it took years or decades to even identify the problem let alone solve it but they did and a lot of people's lives are better because of that so that's kind of the mindset I use to overcome a mental challenge Mm. like that wow I actually it's quite emotionally provoking hearing you talk about it because on the one hand you're doing very logical methodical science but then on the other hand you are very emotionally driven Um, It seems like, you know, what's driving you is a heartfelt need to help people. 
Um, I, I agree. I also I'll add one thing to that. I think this is a reason when I talked about my future plans earlier that I want to do both the MD and the PhD, like to stay motivated to see these patients and to be helping them in the short term. But then the research part of it is more longer term. So to be able to combine the both of them, because I think my motivation really is other people seeing the challenges that they face. I know that I've lived an amazing life of fortune in terms of good health, where I have my family and I don't get sick very often, but I know that others do. And so just being able to be humble by seeing the lives that other people live inspires me. But I think this motivation, if I keep seeing it for the rest of my life, isn't going to go away anytime soon. Right. And and how do you handle your emotions? Because, you know, when you're dealing with life and death and health, that can be pretty heavy stuff. Yeah, I don't know if I have a good answer to that. I don't know if I do. I think that I've shadowed some amazing doctors in some fields where they deal with it all the time. I've actually asked them the same questions. And I think either they just are used to it and they have seen so many cases of success that that's just the goal that they look toward or that they try to channel the emotions into motivation, which probably maybe is the only good answer. And so I think that's what I plan to do, but I don't think that I have a great answer to what I currently do. What do do. you currently do? I mean, this is totally anonymous. No one's going to know it's you, but, but. Like I don't see patients who are suffering on so many levels, like on a regular basis. So I think that there's suffering all around us and maybe just in general, our population has become somewhat desensitized to it, but you see it firsthand where you're shadowing in a clinic where the doctors talking about treatment may increase your life expectancy from three months to six months. I I don't really think anyone can deal or handle with that. Besides, say, this is a positive thing. We are increasing your life expectancy. Um, But I I don't think that I really do deal with it. Maybe another motivation in some some way that something that helps is the patients themselves, which patients are people. People want to help other people. So if I found that in medicine, when you're treating people, a lot a lot of people will help you even if it's not directly benefiting themselves where in specific clinics, if you want to do a test for research that doesn't even relate to that patient, but they know it could relate to other patients like them, then they're more than happy to help. And like by giving say a blood sample or by answering questions about their symptoms And I think that that mindset maybe is inspiring. And I try to adopt that mindset in the same setting, even though I know I'm in a completely different position than they are. Yeah, it's all about channeling that kind of energy. So clearly, you know, you are exercising both your heart motivations and your head motivations. Um, How does that extend to 
future plans just as a woman on this planet you know we're not just our careers we're also potentially mothers and wives and friends like how do you balance all the rest of life I think that this is a challenge that a lot of people face but also there have been many successful examples of people who balance their personal and their professional lives incredibly well so I look to people like that so I there was a oncologist who I worked with last summer who was such a role model to me in the clinic um, how she viewed patients problems and could help so many people but she got to work at say 8 a.m every day and she left at 5 or 6 p.m and she went home and she her mindset was she doesn't reply to emails until after her kids go to bed. And I loved that. I loved how she spent the entire day focused, concentrated, helping people, but then gets home and is consciously aware of her her mindset and life needs to switch, even if it's just for a few hours. Um, so I think that's the balance that I'm going to strive for, to be able to separate these things. I know this is probably much harder in practice and yeah. we can pull it off successfully but I think it's good to have the intention though yeah definitely and I know like during med school or during residency there are crazy hours but most of this is short term so longer term I do plan like I don't plan to have my career be my entire life I plan for it to be important and for my family to be supportive of it but I want there to be a distinction where I love the mindset of I get home and I don't reply to work emails until it's appropriate to do so, whether that's mm. next morning or whatever. I mean, specific time constraints can be worked out, but I like there being a clear divide. I think this is also true, maybe not even that long term, like now, like when I go, I'll, I'll be attending college next year and college is different than high school in the sense where in high school, you are with your friends at school in class all day and then you go home you physically change locations you go home and you do homework or you study but in college it's all at the same place with the same people and it's kind of blurred the distinction between yeah when do you study when do you hang out when do you have a social life so maybe college is kind of a practice round for <laughs> life when you get a start. That's a really interesting way of looking at it. I've never thought about it like that. But you're so right. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the things that comes up in this podcast a lot is women who have embarked on very long academic careers, um, studied a lot, and then want to prove themselves within industry or the workplace and don't know when to fit in being a mother is this something at your tender age you've ever thought about I think maybe I've observed it in other people I haven't really ever considered this to be a pressing issue in my life but I have been mentored by some amazing female scientists and doctors and just seeing how they fit in time for their family. And some, I think, clearly do more successfully than others. 
But I think just the fact of seeing, even if one person does it right, it shows that it's possible to balance. Right. I I mean, I'm talking about actually sort of like getting pregnant because, um, yeah, no, because it's like, you know, taking nine months out of doing whatever they're doing to have a child and kind of knowing that uh, it does change you somewhat. You know, women are kind of a bit nervous of making such a drastic switch um, in their psyche. Yeah, I think that having a family is something that I have always wanted and Mm. have planned. I think that timing-wise, I'm not sure. Right how this fits into an MD and a PhD, but I think it's maybe equally as important to me. And I would maybe, I don't don't know how much ahead of this I would put a career. So I think just having priorities right, I would not be afraid. I would just want to think it through ahead of time. Right. And in listening to everything you've said so far, I just have this deep trust that you will always approach major questions like that with logic and, you know, a lot of consideration. Um, But I'm also getting the sense that you really gain so much from role models and seeing how others have done it. Yeah, I think that there's no point in reinventing the wheel, right? So there have been people who've done great work but also had amazing families there have been I know there have been cases of like Nobel laureates who had kids who were Nobel laureates so I mean obviously that's very rare but I think that with such a support network around you I don't really see a limitation to why you couldn't have like a family and do great work as well Right. I mean, I guess you just have to have the right intentions, right? I mean, some people may go into academia for a bit of an ego trip. Have you ever experienced that? Or, Um, you know, maybe you're in a field where people genuinely just want to help others. I think maybe the second are the type of people I've been trying to surround myself with. There are people who maybe didn't know what they wanted, so they went into academia. But academia is hard. So if you don't love what you're doing, Mm. you don't end up maybe at the top. The people at the top are always, I think, there because that's what they love. And they're there. I don't think all of academia is the sense of, let me directly improve people's lives. But Mm. it could just be improving your own life. Like if you're there you love what you're doing and your work should improve your, your life, your mental state and your enjoyment. And I think I've been trying to surround myself with people who this is the case for, as opposed to they're there because they didn't know what else to do or they're there for their ego. But you people don't publish in top journals for their ego. They publish because... Hard work. Hard work and other people recognizing their hard work. Yeah, and a genuine passion for something. That's what I like to think is the case. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you touched on this idea of choosing who you hang out with and who you associate with. And I just think that's such a wise 
um, mentality, um, mm-hmm. really wise mentality to, to choose carefully who you surround yourself with. Yes, definitely. And I think there's not necessarily a wrong answer to who you should be around, but when I know that some say labs are much more high pressure than others mm. where you're under pressure to publish, you're under pressure to spend a lot more time than others in the lab um, or other considerations. And so just find the people who are similar to you who have the same idea for how much time you should be there, how important this work is and how much pressure you should be under. And then stick with people who are somewhat like you, but different enough to add, of course, the perspective and the knowledge and the background to the work. Right. I mean, I think one of the things of knowing who you want to hang out with and knowing um, which people fit you is in having a really strong sense of self, a really strong sense of who you are. Um, So you must have a very strong sense of who you are. I think maybe I determine who I am, my sense of self based off of the people around me. I think that you find your best friends and that's less conscious. You find people who you vibe with or who you enjoy being around and you have great discussions with where it's not just superficial talking about the weather, but you start learning something from conversations and then being around people like that, you understand more about yourself. And those people for me, more often than not have been just genuinely curious people. Not all of my friends are these science nerds. Some of them are history nerds or people who are really interested in economics, which if I'm not super interested in those fields, I'm interested in their interests. And that has helped define my interests and my sense of self Mm. as well. Gosh, where did you learn that? when did I learn what um just kind of knowing knowing these things of like you know persistence and choosing carefully who you hang out with and asking for help and being curious I mean just such amazing qualities like where on earth did you learn that from my peers definitely when I talked about choosing friends who you have great discussions with I think that a lot of these more philosophical and introspective discussions are ones that I also have with my friends. Say at Friday night sleepovers, we'll be watching a movie, but also having discussions about politics or about why we're friends or our future ideas. So just having friends who think a lot is important to me, being around just people who like to think. But I, I completely credit this to being surrounded by such great people. Um, my parents, for sure, have helped distill this in me. They've been best friends and role models. And I think just conversations with people from all walks of life mm-hmm. and trying to learn from these conversations gives you so much. Right. I mean, you are such an amazing combination of characteristics I must say like you really you're just a total inspiration um 
And for someone so young, I mean, you really are at this point in your life where not only could you inspire the next generation coming up underneath you, but you're also an inspiration to uh, older women in STEM too. So what would be your advice, first of all, to a younger generation who have a curiosity and wonder for science, but don't quite know where to channel it? Find a mindset that you truly believe in and just try to apply this mindset to all aspects of your life. One of these that I find quite common amongst amazing women in STEM and people who I like to be around is this mindset of, I want to help others help others. And I think this applies to many different fields, many different interests, but it's just this some, some underlying goal or idea. And just to keep in the back of your mind, it can be anything. It doesn't have to be that. It can be, I want to make people smile or I want to make the world like a a happier place or a safer place or just some goal that could be professional and social just yeah and not necessarily massively technical right yeah no it definitely doesn't have to be technical but just yeah yeah some just keep in mind something to go after write it down or have like a mission statement right it's like a piece like a sentence of something to keep in mind and then go with it and it can change you'll see how it changes but I think that as you as it changes it's defining you as a person and your interests and you're learning even more about yourself in the process yeah I love the way you use the word uh change because some people might see it as failure like oh I didn't quite do what I set out to do but you approach it like it's um, an evolution of an idea. Oh, completely. Yes. I mean, I think that's just interests in general. Like whatever people say when they're in high school that they want to do, it could totally change. But does that mean that on every college application that I wrote that I want to do something in life that that what that didn't end up being the case? That's not a failure. It's just I learned even more about myself in the process. Wow. Your attitude is so powerful. It's it's really overwhelming. I mean, I can see why you won an award that evening, um, not just because of your technical abilities, but your attitude is just so powerful um, and positive. Well, thank you. thank you. That means a lot. I think that's something that was not always the case, but... I think that as I got older and started realizing what I want, it became the case. And maybe now I do try to put in a conscious effort to convey positive positivity and confidence to others who may not have it yet. Because I think that a mindset of change making and positivity is how progress is made in all environments. And so that's just kind of like a goal, like a daily goal of mine. Like I wake up and it's, kind of going into a conversation like I want them to leave feeling confident and feeling better and feeling smarter about themselves right so you're saying that you weren't always like this um experience taught you the mindset you have today I think definitely I mean we learn like intro psychology classes that kids are born 
pretty egotistical just like they think that they're the center of the world but just with time that goes away you learn other people exist and you learn faster slower than others or you learn from various experiences and you end up realizing it's not everything everyone realizes this is not true to an extent but different experiences define it in different ways so I think I've just had some really humbling experiences Mm -hmm. Right. And so in terms of this idea of having it all, uh, what does that look like to you for your life? Um, I think I'm really fortunate in so many different areas in so many different ways. I, from the basic needs, I have support, I have, I'm surrounded by really cool people. But then also, I just think I have so many opportunities and it's really important to me to take advantage of opportunities. I think there was a time a few years ago when you kind of realized that you're going up the food chain in whatever community you're in. And maybe once you start doing this, you realize you want to join another community where you're at the bottom. And then you have to start moving up again in terms of like meeting people, making connections, making networks. And um, maybe one key thing that changed me was when I had an amazing opportunity to attend a summer program where I got to meet people who were really just like me. Um, and it was like obviously humbling where it feels like you're kind of at the bottom because all these people are so amazing, but you're all there for a reason. And that's kind of what I think of having it all, having people who all have the same goal and will continue to be your friends and collaborators for the rest of your life is how I define like my opportunities that's amazing it has been (laughs) kind of attitude changing talking to you Um, I feel really privileged that you came on this show thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and good luck for all those amazing goals you have Thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. That's it from my STEM guest this week. I am smiling from ear to ear. Um, Not just because I feel like my guest was smiling the whole way through this show, but just because I can't believe someone has such a healthy attitude. It makes all the sense in the world why she's a true winner. Um, That evening that I met her, Um, at an awards ceremony and I'm excited for her future. I just really feel if there's someone that's career needs to unfold in a positive way, it's got to be my guest because she really has all the qualities it takes to be a true pioneer in STEM. Thanks for listening this week. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review the show and catch you next week on Silence.